When he was in, the, in Gethsemane, he says, All of you will be made to stumble. There's our word again. Jesus here be, in the upper room says, I prayed, and, and I don't want you to stumble, but you're going to stumble. You're going to have some hard times. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. All exclaiming, Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. During the early part of his ministry, Jesus had spoken little to the disciples about the persecution which awaited them because he had been in their company. And as long as he was with them, the world's hatred must inevitably be drawn to himself. Now Jesus prepared his disciples for his departure and warned them of the impending persecution. Jesus knew they were going to stumble after he was arrested, so he continued to encourage them of his return. Even today, as we see the world acting against the Word of God and Jesus' followers, He reminds us of His return. Now let's join Pastor Rob's teaching, already in progress. But see, His disciples, they needed to be prepared for the battles that was at their doorstep, and that would continue throughout the rest of their life on earth. And again, that's what a good shepherd does. And we need, we need to be prepared for the battle as well. Are you prepared? Are you getting prepared? Because it's been raging for a long time, and even now in our world, it is at a fevered pitch, the battle that is on. Did you notice that there's a battle for truth these days? Someone said that the, I've heard a quote one time, it says, the first casualty in any battle is truth. It's truth. And I'm going to say something here that some of you aren't going to like, but I, I believe in my heart that it's the truth. We are undergoing a time of great deception. We have been, and it really ramped up in the last two years. The rampant election fraud, the lies that have been told by the authorities concerning COVID, concealing the real facts, concealing and then outlawing things that are, that are time-proven remedies for COVID, and the rampant deception and malfeasance by the current administration in the White House and the mainstream media and big tech. Great, great deception, and that's just... You know, and that's just something that's really come to front and center over the last year and a half, two years. But it always been going on. But now we are in, we are in the bottom. Of, we're at the deep end of the pool. And what are we going to do at this time? This is the time, folks, for the church to rise. There has never been a time, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again because we're right in the midst of it. And you, I want to encourage you to get prepared. Jesus was preparing his disciples, and I believe Jesus would have us to be prepared for what's coming. We know the bigger picture, and now the bigger picture is starting to look, oh my, clearer than we've ever seen it before. So it behooves us then to really make our calling and our election sure, to know that we are in the faith, to know that we are Christ, and then to be ambassadors for Him, 
to really say, Lord, search me. Take every wicked thing out of my life. I tell you what, there's nothing greater than a time that right now for us to just be, to let the Lord purify your heart and your mind and be willing to sanctify, be set apart from the world, set apart from the world. Jesus said, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Come out from among them. And when you come out from among something, it, the, the, the logic stands that you're going to be set aside to something else. And it's him. He's the one I need to be separated unto. I need to, I need to be sanctified And he sanctified us. He's sanctifying us, and he ultimately will sanctify us. Do you understand? He's already done these things, but practically speaking, we have to abide in him. And I want to encourage you to abide in him, because we can expect more tyranny and deception as the time goes on. In Matthew 24, verse 37, Jesus, speaking of his second coming physically to the earth, not the rapture, he says, But as the days of Noah were, so also the coming of the Son of Man will be. For in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Taken to judgment. Two women will be at the grinding at the mill, and one will be taken and the other left. Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, be ye also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And Jesus was speaking of his second physical coming to the earth. We call it the second coming. And if that is the truth, if we are seeing these things in our world start to line up with the things that we're reading about the events coming yet future in the Revelation, if we're starting to, ooh, starting to get a little pretty close to what, we're, what we know is happening, if that is the truth, then how close is the rapture of the church? <laughs> we are very near the end, folks. And are we aware that as Christians that we are involved in a spiritual battle for, for a, a spiritual battle not only for our own lives, but for the lives of other men and women, and the truth is under siege. It's often been said, like I said, the casualty in any war is is truth. And we are in a spiritual battle. Do you know that? In Ephesians chapter six. Paul speaking to them, says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. And now as Paul is shackled to this Roman soldier or Roman soldiers, and as he's sitting here writing this, and he may be looking at the soldiers, he may be shackled to them uh, at some point, we don't know. But as he's looking at their armor, Paul equates all of these things to armor that you and I as Christians need to put on. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Are there any wiles of the devil going on? No, I don't think so. I I think he's just, uh, you know... Nothing's really happening. It's just kind of like boredom, you know, blasé kind of. No, no, it's ramping up. As the days of Noah were, so are the days before Jesus returns. And if that's the case, we need to be ready. But he says, you do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand... In the evil day, and having done all to stand. Do you notice the, the, the position of this? 
It doesn't speak of one going out with guns and knives and spears and baseball bats. It doesn't sound like anybody's going out. No, you just stand your ground, Christian. We need to stand our ground. But we do have one offensive weapon in all of this arsenal that Paul is going to tell us. He says, Stand therefore, having your waist girded about with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having your, your, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith, which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is what? The Word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Can somebody answer that phone? <laughs> Hello, Lord. Maybe it's him. Wouldn't that be great? He calls up and he says, I'm, gonna, I'm coming in about five minutes. <laughs> Got a little traffic jam at the border, but I'm coming. He doesn't need any of that. When he comes, it's going to happen. And it's going to be very quick. And hallelujah when it does, because I'm looking forward to him coming. Amen? But notice, and, from, and so basically Paul gives these things, but notice the sword of the Spirit, this Word of God is our only and our best offense and defense. And why aren't we using it more than we are? It is the only weapon of this arsenal, of this helmet, this breastplate, this feet shot of the preparation of the gospel, our waist girt about with truth, the breastplate of righteousness, helmet of salvation. We won't get into all that, but one thing we do have is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So that means that that is our one thing that we have to battle Satan in this world. But are we really using it? Are we using it? Turn with me to Luke chapter 4, and I'll, I'll read this to you. Jesus believed in it. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, this is chapter, or verse 1. Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, notice, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when he had ended, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, and now this is interesting, the devil approaching Jesus. What a fool's errand that is. He's going to try and tempt Jesus. And notice Jesus' response to each one of these temptations. And by the way, they mirror exactly what we see in the book of Genesis. What the devil did with Adam and Eve, he's doing the same thing to the second Adam, Jesus Christ. He did it to the first Adam, and now he's going to try the same bag of tricks on the second Adam. And, what, and, and where Adam failed in the garden, now Jesus is not going to fail. And what is his weapon of choice? Let's look at it. Notice what the devil said to him. If you are, or since you are the Son of God, you know, the devil knows who Jesus is. He knows him better than most Christians. Many Christians. The devil knows who Jesus is. He says, since you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. And what did Jesus say? You know, that's a really great idea. You know, Panera Bread has this wonderful Italian loaf, and they, they put butter over it, and it's really great, and it's crunchy too, and they steam it, and it, you know, all that. No, he didn't, he, he didn't entertain the devil. He says, Jesus answered, said, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Quoting from Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. And then, the devil, again, takes him up onto a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, 
and I give it to whomever I wish. And therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. In other words, Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. You can circumvent the cross. If the world is what you want, I'll just give it to you, but only one, under one proviso. You bow down right now, and you worship me, and then I'll give you everything. And, and let me, do you ever wonder how he had the audacity to say that? Well, what was failed in the Garden of Eden, Adam gave up that dominion, and Satan has it. And the Bible makes no qualms of that he's the ruler of this world. Now, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We know that God created the whole thing, but for a season, for a time, the devil has sway over the whole earth. And that's why we need to be born again. That's why we need to be saved, because there's a battle going on, and many of you have experienced it in the physical and in the spiritual. But notice, he brought him up to Jerusalem, set him on the temple, and he says, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Actually, I'm sorry, I I skipped something. Back to verse 7. Therefore, if you will worship me, all of this will be yours. And what did Jesus say? You know, that sounds like a great idea. No, he doesn't say that. He says, get behind me, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Again, quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. And then he brings him up to Jerusalem, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it's written, He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And what does Jesus say? I've got a parachute, I've got a hang glider. We can still get this done? No. (laughs) Again, from Deuteronomy, he says, It has been said, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. And now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Notice that. Jesus could have called on a legion of angels and shackled Satan and thrown thrown him into the lake of fire, but in his humanity, he defeated the devil with what? The word of God. And that's exactly what we need today. That's why it's important that we, that we know it. That's why we get together like this, to build us up, to get to know it, know the Word of God, spend time in it. And he did it all from the book of Deuteronomy. Isn't that interesting? The Old Testament. He battled Satan on a book of the Old Testament. How important is the Old Testament and the New Testament? Is the New Testament only the one that we should read? No, we need to read all of it. Jesus defeated the devil at that time from the Old Testament, from one book of the Old Testament. So it's important, the whole entire word of God. So are we aware of this spiritual battle, or are we Christian spectators? I hope that you're not a Christian spectator, because if you are, you're not in the place where the Lord would have you. And if you're abiding in Christ, you'll be aware of this battle, and you cannot lay down and pretend it isn't happening We need to get into the game. We need to get serious with our walk with Christ. Lives are at stake. Eternal life is at stake. Not only for us, but for others. And the powers of darkness, folks, they're in full sway right now. And they are not giving up easily. I'm thankful that the Bible tells us the end. That Jesus ultimately is victorious. He is victorious right now, but ultimately it's going to be He's going to be victorious, and you and I will be victorious in him. And so we need to get about our Father's business. But notice what Jesus says back in our text in verse 1 again. He says that you should not be made to stumble. This word stumble is scandalizo, which, which means to offend or to make an offense. 
And Jesus, speaking about his sacrificial life and our abiding in him, remember in John chapter 6 when Jesus spoke to his disciples, and he says, Most assuredly I say unto you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And they were flipping out over this because they're like, Wait a minute, you're... You've never encouraged cannibalism, and is Jesus speaking of cannibalism here? No, he's not. Because at the very end of that chapter, going down toward the end in verse 63, he says, um, well, let me say this. He says, when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Does this scandalize so? Does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? And then he gives them a clue. He said, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And see, the disciples would stumble just a few hours from that moment. So when Jesus says, I've said these things that you might not be made to stumble, Jesus knew that they were going to stumble. It wasn't a, something that he didn't know. He knew what was going to happen. In fact, in Matthew 26, beginning in verse 31, and this happened um, when they had gone to the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus would ultimately be taken from that place. When he was in, the, in Gethsemane, he says, All of you will be made to stumble. There's our word again. Jesus here be in the upper room says, I prayed and, and I don't want you to stumble, but you're going to stumble. You're going to have some hard times. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. So verse 2, he says, Then that they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And we saw this in John chapter 9. If you remember, there was a blind man who was from birth, and Jesus healed him on the Sabbath day. And naturally, he's excited because he's never seen before. Can you imagine not ever seeing before? And all of a sudden, the, the Jesus comes and gives you sight. And, and now, for all the things that you've been running into and the things that you've been imagining and your, all of your other senses are peaked because now that's all you've got. Now all of a sudden you can see and you can put a face to a name. You can, put a, uh, you can touch something that you've, you've handled many times and you can see these things. He told the Jews, he told the Pharisees, and, the, and they were uh, very ambivalent and very um, uh, against this man because he said that Jesus had touched him and they didn't believe in Jesus. And his parents even, you know, he goes and, and finally... He tells the Pharisees, they, they, they don't believe him, and finally they ask his parents if these things were so. And his parents answered and said unto them, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means now he sees, we do not know. Or, what, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He's of age, ask him. He will speak for himself. And so his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. Isn't that exactly what he said here? The time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. And yes, and they will throw you out of the synagogues. Do you think the cancel culture that we live in, the woke mob, is something new? It's really not. The Pharisees were basically saying, if you don't believe our deceptive narrative, you will be canceled. Social justice in the first century. 
What does Solomon tell us in Ecclesiastes 1 verse 9? That there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. What happened then is happening right now. And Jesus and his disciples experienced it. They were being canceled. They didn't call it that, but that's what it was. And after he continues to tell them the truth and challenge them, they say to him who was formerly blind, you were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. They cast him out of the synagogue because of his belief in Christ. Time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. You remember in Acts chapter 7, Stephen, before the Sanhedrin, they killed him ultimately and they thought that they were doing the right thing where God was concerned. But here now Stephen gets arrested and he says to the Sanhedrin, this ruling class of of Pharisees and Sadducees, he says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. There he is speaking to authority under the influence of the Spirit of God. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And ultimately, they, they gnashed upon him, it says... Uh, and they, they gnashed upon him, and they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city. They stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Does that sound familiar? You know who Saul is? That this, that they who was witnessing the the death of the first martyr of the church. It was Paul the apostle. Yes, the one who wrote two thirds or penned two thirds of the New Testament. The one whom God had set on fire. The one whom would be beheaded by Nero in Rome over his faith in Christ. But before then, he was just a zealous Jew who wanted to eradicate all of the stuff about Jesus. And even Saul of Tarsus, he was one of the most zealous of the Pharisees. In Philippians 3, verse 5, it tells us that he was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee and concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He was one of the worst enemies the church ever had at the beginning. But after his conversion, he became the greatest advocate for Christ. Saul of Tarsus, who later became Paul, because of his zeal, he thought that he did God's service by killing Christians. In Acts chapter 7, it says, And they cast uh, Stephen out, out of the city, and they stoned him, and, uh, and they gathered the clothes uh, at, at Saul's feet. And Saul was consenting to his death, it tells us in, in, um, in eight verse one, Acts 8, verse 1. He was consenting to his death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, Samaria except the apostles. And as for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dropping or dragging off men and women, committing them to prison, until finally in Acts chapter 9, and this is the, 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 the fork on the road for Saul in his life. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. That's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as our location, service times, information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, and information regarding Bread of Life Academy, our new school opening in the fall of 2023. Just click the school link at the top of the page for more information. Additionally, you may also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's Sanctuary Messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play Podcast or Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.